Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. But I wanted to end this year kind of setting up where I want to go next year. And I just really have the concepts of faith and hope, you know, faith and hope going into the next year. I think I want to do a series in January on that, faith and hope, just what faith is, what hope is, how to build those, you know, because hope is a lot of us, when we use the word hope, it just kind of sounds like a wish. And also, a lot of times when hope is talked about, it's like a consolation. You know, it's like the fruitcake of spiritual beliefs or something like that. It's like, ah, I didn't get you the big gift, but here's your fruitcake. You you know, the world's terrible. Your life's probably not going to be that good, but you can still have hope because you're going to go to heaven. And I I, want to have hope that affects today. You know, I want to have hope that affects now. And a hope that believes we as the body of Christ can still make a difference on this planet. And I just don't have the mindset that the church is going to, slide into the end, weak and powerless and ineffective, hiding in the rocks and mountains, waiting for the rapture, and the, church, and the world gets overtaken by darkness. You know, I don't, I don't know exactly what the future looks like, but I know that God's kingdom is prevailing. Amen? God's kingdom has been established, and it's growing. And that's what I wanted to read through several passages today to just set up this idea of you know, nations rise and fall. Good things happen, bad things happen. When Jesus talks about the end, he talks about the parable of the wheat and the tares. The, he tells this story about a farmer who planted a field, and then the wheat grew up and the weeds grew up. And his workers came to him, to the farmer, and said, there's weeds out here in the field. I don't know what's going on. Didn't you plant good seed? Which is kind of a a pair of this multi-layered uh, parable story to reveal what he's talking about. And that is when we look at the world and we ask God, well, why is all this bad stuff? If you're good, then why is this happening? Didn't you plant good seed? And, and you know, so there, it's multi-layered, and I may go through some of that in this series coming up in January, but ultimately, Jesus in this parable says, you know, and they ask him, they said, should we go tear out all the weeds? Should, should we attack the darkness? Should we attack the weed? Should we attack the tares? And, he, and essentially he says, no, let's nurture the wheat. Let's focus on the good that we can. The weeds will take care of themselves. In fact, my father will take care of the weeds himself, essentially. You know, so I don't want our hope, and really the biblical definition of hope is a confident expectation of good things. Hope is not, well, I wanted this, but I know I'm going to get this eventually, so I'm just going to kind of have some hope until this happens. No, I think, and I'm not just talking about personal benefit and blessing. I'm talking about the church making an impact in the world until whatever happens, happens, and however it wraps up, it wraps up. I think we've got time, plenty of time, but I don't know. You know, I'm not going to get into trying to interpret prophecy that we can't yet really fully understand on this side of prophecy but I also don't want to deny the darkness in the world. It's the wheat and the tares type of situation. It's there, but let's focus on the kingdom. Let's cooperate with the kingdom. 
Let's expect the kingdom to increase in our lives and take the responsibility to open our mouths and live in such a way that is an example to the world that causes the world to say, well, even other Christians, you know, causes other believers to even look at you and say, well, I, you know, what's different? You know, you've heard that kind of message before, live a life that's different, that it's, that's attractive to other people. But as the world darkens, and as maybe your favorite political party doesn't have power, that doesn't mean the kingdom of God is failing. Nations rise and fall. Good things happen, bad things happen. But the kingdom of God has been brought into this earth and is increasing and will prevail. In spite of what you see on the news, what you're indoctrinated to believe on Twitter, or whatever's going on, even the economy, right? The, the 401, I'm sure if I ask you to raise your hand, if you have a 401k, it's probably taken a massive hit. You know what? Yeah, see, we got one hand back there. So what? We're part of a different economy. And I want to be realistic, but I want to be kingdom-minded. And faith and hope are integral facets of that. So let me just read several passages, really kind of the Christmas story, <clears throat> and then, excuse me, I'm at the tail end of this thing, <clears throat> and then set up the idea of faith and hope going into the next year. So, Philip, I think I'm just going to have you follow me along, so I'm just going to read through this. Appreciate you back there. Y'all did a great job. Everything sounded really good. So we're going to start in Luke 2, verse 8. This is at the time of the birth of Jesus, and we all know the story. The angels burst out, and these lowly shepherds out in the middle of the field announces that God has been born into the earth in the form of a human. It's amazing. So, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. How many of you get your imagination involved when you're reading Scripture? I do. I like to think, oh man, what would that have looked like? You know, because here's, the, you know, maybe about in the background. <laughs> It's dark. There's no artificial light. They're seeing the constellations. And boom, here's an angel of the Lord. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. There's so much detail in this. That's why, that's why I like to read Scripture slowly. It, it, it says that it shone around. Now, that could be the angels, but also the shepherds were lit up by this glory. And they were greatly afraid which almost always happens when people have an encounter with that spiritual dimension. It's shocking and it's fearful. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Say, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with an angel, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. It's as if once that one angel made the declaration, they just invaded the space and they, just a bunch of them started singing, right? I mean, how amazing would that have been? And angels are active. They're real. They're probably in here. Probably what they're doing is looking at you with your arms crossed going, well, I wish you'd give me something to do. Ooh, did I say that? Sorry. <laughs> and suddenly there, <laughs> there was the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, 
glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. And this is, stay on this one. This is a big deal. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Say peace. peace. And, uh, you know, we went through, actually, if you're, if you're involved in the Advent um, devotional, devotional in, on Bible, where a bunch of us are going through that together, and there's some videos from the Bible Project, but we talked about this a few weeks ago. <clears throat> and I would just say, here's some, here's some homework for you. Go watch the Shalom video from the Bible Project on YouTube because it presents this idea of peace as wholeness, not just calmness, not just stillness, but peace is an idea of the restoration of making something whole. So in other words, uh, like a wall that may have a few stones out of it is in disharmony, but when the, when the wall is brought to a place of wholeness, there's shalom, it's wholeness. And that's what happened with us is the restoration of our relationship with God is now made whole. It's not just tranquil, good feelings. There's a wholeness of relationship that we have here with Him. So peace and goodwill, not among men, but toward men. Toward men from where? If it's toward men, if this goodwill and this peace is toward men, it's from God. And this is a major declaration. And this is a huge facet of what we feel like the calling of this church is, is to present the goodness of God, talk about the gospel in such a way where we know, and we change the way that we see God and we recognize, no, God has good plans for you. I'm not saying everything's going to be perfect, but in the midst of whatever you're going through, God is with you. Not to try to make your life difficult, not to try to confuse you and give you weird circumstances so that you pass some kind of test and get blessed by any of that junk. God's a good father. You ask him for bread, he's going to give you bread. He's not going to give you snakes and stones like Jesus talks about. Verse 15, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. So this idea that they went into heaven is interesting to me, and, and I want to I talk about that in this faith and hope idea that we're going to move into. What in, you know, last week we talked about <clears throat> prayer and quantum non-locality, <laughs> and, and I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to quantify everything or put God in a box, but I want to demystify spiritual interaction. So that it's not just woo-woo and 100% mysterious. We're not going to know everything. It's greater than our minds can grasp. But there, I think there's a, a real way that we can interact with this powerful dimension that we have been joined to through Christ. So more to come on that. But what they're announcing is the fulfillment of prophecies about this coming Messiah and the establishment of God's people on the earth. But they were looking for an overt conquering king, you know, when they talked to Jesus and they, where's your kingdom? And is now going to be the time that you restore Israel? They were looking for a conquering king to overthrow through force and military and political strategy. But Jesus came with a different idea. He brought the kingdom, put it in our hearts to grow, affect us, and then affect the world through us. That's the mystery is that the anointing of God, the kingdom of God, the Christ dwells in us, 
changes us, and then we affect the world around us. It's not this overt thing that's coming onto the planet making something happen independent from his church experiencing unity and walking in our place in the body of Christ. We all have a part to play. You're all important. You all have a very specific role in the body of Christ. You fulfill it as you're creative in following God, but everybody's important. You know, say, I am impotent. I don't know the rest of the phrase, but whatever that movie is. All right, yeah, so Isaiah 9, you can jump to that, verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be... So this is talking about the coming Messiah, and I love this. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom. Say that, no more gloom. Now, what I want you to get is, this is not just talking about in the sweet by and by. What you're going to see is this is talking about the here and now, the indwelling kingdom of God in the hearts of the church affecting us, us living, connected to this kingdom, affected by His Spirit. You know, we just went through this whole series about the love of God being like a force, a spiritual force. The love of God is not just how He feels about you or His motive or His intention towards you. I see the love of God much like the natural force of gravity. It has an effect. It's measurable. We can interact with gravity and it's actually doing something in this three-dimensional plane that we live in, I think the love of God is a spiritual force affecting us. It's poured out in our hearts, and what it's doing is it's healing us. It's, it's healing those emotional wounds. It's healing those repetitive sin habits that keep dragging you back down into despair and gloominess. The love of God is inside of you, reinforcing to you, you know, you are a child of God. You are accepted through the blood of Christ. You're, you can break free from that limiting, destructive, traumatic stuff that you've been through and live a life that's honoring to the Lord. So nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Man, I, I don't know. I could just meditate on that for hours. There's no more gloom. So in the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor, honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Remember that. The people, Zebulon, walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And skip to verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government, will be a, the government of the kingdom of God will be upon his shoulders, And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Amen? No end. Now, we're waiting for it to start, but what I want you to walk out of here with is it started in your own heart and your life now. And it's up to us to steward that kingdom that has been planted within us so that it grows and affects us and we make a difference in the world. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on, specifically from that time on, from the time when the light is shown in Zebulun, which we're about to see in Matthew, from that time on, so 2,000 years ago, from that time on, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God's working. 
God's kingdom is active and alive and accessible. Again, I'm not saying you're not going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble in this world until it's fully restored, but we're also part of the kingdom. Matthew 4, starting in verse 12, <clears throat> when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum. Remember, we just read Isaiah 9, uh, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali. And aren't you thankful for the Bible? Because, like, it actually tells you things that are helpful to know. Like, it tells you the, the fulfillment of that prophecy from Isaiah 9 right here in Matthew 4. So Matthew 4, 14, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea by the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen, say have seen, a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned, has dawned, say has dawned, you know? And, and, and again, we're in this paradoxical place, suspended in between two realities, but this light of the kingdom has dawned. And it's first and foremost in your own heart. Verse 17, from that time on, that phrase again you hear, of Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And we got to figure out what that looks like for ourselves. Amen. So I'll let it sit for a minute. And then I love this too in Daniel 2, just to go a little bit deeper into this, because so much end time stuff is built around Daniel's letter and what happened to him. And so much gloom is presented, so much darkness, so much hopelessness in the earth gets built up around these kinds of prophecies. But watch this, Daniel 2, 44 and 45, in the time of those kings, which ultimately, if you look at it, he's attaching it to the same thing that Isaiah was talking about, that the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. See, because I want to go into this new year with hope. I want to go into this new year full of faith, standing in hope, because our hope is anchored in something that is true and that's available and accessible and can make a difference now. I don't want to just give up, you know? I don't want to stick my head in the sand, but I don't want to give up either. I want to have a hope and faith to make a difference, to see the kingdom be effective. Because here's the reality. It is growing. Let me just finish this. So He'll set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, which if you're familiar with Daniel, you see the, the vision of the, the five different uh, piece statue, and then a rock comes in and smashes the final kingdom and breaks apart the feet, and then that rock, that mountain grows and fills the entire earth. That's the prophecy. That rock is Jesus, and that rock is the kingdom, and it is advancing and increasing. By, <clears throat> but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. But Isaiah and Jesus confirm it was when he walked 
in that land, they saw a great light. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Luke 17, starting in verse 20. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. You know, this idea of revive, those of us that believe in the working of the Spirit and that the gifts are still available for today and, and the church can make a difference, <clears throat> I think there's this idea of revivalism that has kind of crept in, and it's this expectation of God sovereignly externally showing up and manifesting and doing some kind of sweeping thing around the earth and calling that a move of God. And I'm not, I'm not trying to throw that idea away, but a lot of what happens in that mindset is activities that put us in a quasi-dead works that looks spiritual approach to try to get God to move and to try to sustain it. And once it starts happening, we got to pray so God doesn't stop it. I know it sounds, I sound critical of some things that you might hold dearly, but I want to set people free from dead works. I don't want to put a yoke of bondage on us to bring about a spiritual end that happens naturally as you follow God. Now, it does take us stepping out. It does take us stewarding our lives and experiencing transformation and stepping out and letting the power flow through us, but not just for power's sake. Are you with me? <clears throat> he said, no, it's in your midst. It's here. It's now. I want to talk more about that. So then Ephesians 1, and I think this is what God's doing. This is what's happening right now. You know, we look at the world. The reason we can have hope is because God is active. He's busy doing things. And I think this is one thing that he's doing. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will. If God is mysterious to you, this is what he's doing. According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, verse 10, the big one, drum roll, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Like when I think about the big picture and I think about what God's doing, this is what he's doing. He's bringing about restoration. He's uniting back together heaven and earth. He's healing that fracture that mankind introduced into the earth, and that is sin and death. And at some point, I don't know what it looks like ultimately, and I'm not trying to present like dominionist theology, you know, where it's like the church finally gets, does church right, and then we kind of just illuminate and reveal the kingdom. Some of you are like, I've never heard that before, but if you've heard of that dominionist theology, I'm not, I'm not trying to present that. I'm not saying that we get so powerful and so holy and so glorious that we reveal the kingdom on the planet. I think there is a sovereign point in time outside of human uh, will that God does bring an end. God does certain things, whatever those things are. But until then, we're getting closer to that time. 
And I'm not saying that the planet's going to get better and better and better and, there's, and all the bad things are going to go away. But for those who know how to live within the power of the kingdom in their personal lives, you live in a different economy. And I, that's a supernatural type of expectation, but it's not strange and weird and you don't have to figure out how to get more spiritual. It's more about your expectations, your hope how to set your mind and your heart toward Him to be influenced by God. And you can just boil it down plain to living by God's wisdom, living by what God says is true. And I'm not talking about keeping commandments, although on the surface it can look like that. I'm talking about living uprightly, putting first the principles that God says are valuable, to love one another, to love God, you know, to, to walk in peace, to exercise patience and self-control. As you do those things, you experience the influence of God within you and you host the opportunity for the kingdom to be effective in your life and beyond. So living uprightly, it's more about I'm a garden full of kingdom seeds and as I live uprightly and apply the wisdom of God in my own personal life, because that's the practical aspect. I don't want to get weird and try to figure out how do I do spirit, you know what I mean? The practical thing is no, if I live uprightly, if I apply the wisdom of God and live within these principles, if He says what human life looks like, then I'm hosting the opportunity for the kingdom to affect me and grow outside of me and be effective around me. Are you with me? So you're tuning your mind and your heart to be sensitive, receptive, and in harmony with the kingdom growing. You don't have to try to figure out how to do something woo-woo out there in some other dimension. It's very practical that we live within what God has already laid out for us to live by. Does that make sense? <clears throat> Once again, Ephesians 1.10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. And I just see God. I see God in the earth, in the church, in the hearts of his people, and then I see the outside hand of God coming together to bring restoration. And I want to participate in that. And then 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, But now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. Now that's talking about the resurrection where everybody goes before the throne of God for the final judgment. That's not talking about everybody's saved because I've heard some... Anybody ever heard of inclusion or... Yes, yeah, kind of a Christocentric version of universalism. They use this passage to say, well, if everybody died in Adam, then that means everybody's alive in Christ. Therefore, everybody's saved. But that's not what it's saying because he actually says those who belong to him. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom. To, now, the reason I'm reading this is because Jesus is busy in the earth by his spirit in the church, you say me, and this is what he's doing. So, then the end comes when he delivers the kingdom to the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, 
For, watch this, for he must reign until he's put all enemies under his feet. Christ is reigning now. Christ, obviously, in his kingdom is reigning, and he's reigning in our mankind now has dominion over this planet. Walk by faith inside of me. And I'm not trying to give you bullet points of what that's supposed to look like. I kind of just want to get us thinking about our minds and our hearts open to this kingdom is in me. And, and he'll speak to you. The Holy, listen, the Holy Spirit is a much better teacher than I am, and he will lead you and guide you. For he must reign until he's put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet, but he says all things are put under him. It is evident that he who put all things under him is expected. Now, when all things are made subject to him, the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Again, this restorative language. And then the last passage I want to read is really just kind of a, a prayer over you. You know, because that's a lot to think about. I went through kind of this historical aspect of the prophecies about Jesus that specifically talked about the land that he would walk in, that he would walk in. But the bigger point is he brings his kingdom with him. And what we see is that it's an inward kingdom that we must yield to and be affected by it if we dare to have a hope to be effective in the earth around us. The church sitting praying, waiting for God to show up and make things happen, independent from the church being active and alive and effective in the earth, it's a fruitless wish. Not saying God can't, not saying He won't, because I'm sure sometimes He does. Again, I'm not trying to tick every box to say that I know what God's doing, but ultimately, the world looks like it does because we've let it look this way. So, the personal responsibility to let it affect us to then change the world around us. I know this is supposed to be like a light, easy Christmas message, and I'm <laughs> giving you some responsibility, and I'm not saying it's your fault, maybe kind of, because <laughs> y'all got some serious faces looking at me. Can we have the kids sing again? Let's go back to that. <clears throat> but this is a prayer, so, so treat this as a prayer. This is from Ephesians chapter 1, and this is Paul praying, and this is a prayer for me. I pray it for you. And, and incidentally, um, you know, we, we were just talking about prayer. If you're part of our Facebook group and you, you haven't kind of jumped into this exercise, go look at the article that I posted with all of the prayers of Paul and just read through those and pay attention how he prays. Pay attention to, you know, what it is that he's praying for me, when I did that exercise, what I noticed is that Paul is not necessarily asking God to do things from a confused standpoint. In other words, he's not, he's not standing in confusion and then praying. He's affirming, first off, the connection that the people have to God that he's praying for. So if he's praying for you, he's affirming the connection that you already have with God. And then he speaks over you the things that he knows are yours because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's not just this confused, fruitless asking and running on of words. It's as if he's just affirming everything that Christ has accomplished and paid for, and that we would see it. So here's the prayer. 
and then we're done. Ephesians 1, verse 16. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, and asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit, or just kind of this mindset, right? It's not like there's a different spirit that God has that he needs to get to you that you don't have. He's talking about in the way of, in the spirit of this. May give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in your knowledge of him. Stay on that one just for a minute. That you would live this way of life that is engaged in wisdom, so practicality, and revelation, supernatural, undefinable. That those two would come together in the knowledge of him. Because we want to live practically, right? We want to know the steps to take. We want to be able to take this knowledge that we have and put it into practice so that we live God-honoring, glorifying lives So the wisdom and the revelation. But it's our knowledge of Him that helps us apply the knowledge unto wisdom and keeps us anchored when we're walking in revelation. You must have both because it's that revelation. Revelation looks like this when you're reading the Word of God and you read something that you've read for years and then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, I never really thought of it that way. Wow, that's really helpful. And if I actually take this, I mean, do you do that? When you read Scripture and you take time to really kind of let it ruminate in your mind and your heart and you're just holding it there, you're not trying to make it say something and you're not trying to get information, you're just holding, you know, it's like you're holding a plant. You know it's growing. Those roots are growing. The plant's taking in oxygen or, or carbon dioxide, converting it to oxygen. It's growing. <clears throat> Whatever kind of fruit the plant is growing, it's growing. You, although you're sitting there and you're looking at that plant, it looks like it's not doing anything. It's alive. It's living. It's the same thing with the Word of God. You're holding it in your heart and your mind. You're not trying to impose on it your biases or even your expectations. You're just holding the wisdom of knowledge of God inside and knowing that it will be illuminated as you. Then it makes you more loving. Nothing can affect you. And then it changes you at your core. And then nobody can take it away. And then you're not seeking information as if God's holding something back from you. It's like you can feel it. You feel that? It's just your body being relaxed. But it could also be the Holy Spirit. I love it. Wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Verse 18, I ask that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope of His calling, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints which is you, and the surpassing greatness of his power to us who believe. That's his prayer. That's my prayer for me, for you, going forward. But put uh, 18 back up there, if you would, just to close on this. Wisdom and revelation, or sorry, 17, in the knowledge of him. Father, I thank you. Stand up, if you would. Just think about that.
Think about what you know and then God bringing it to life, coming together within you to affect change, which is the increase of the kingdom. Father, I thank you. Thank you for this year. Uh, We give you all the praise and the glory for what we've seen in 2022. We know that you have even better plans for us going into the new year. We want to walk into this new year full of faith and hope, being disciplined to uh, present our bodies to experience the marriage of wisdom and revelation and making that our way of life so that we're anchored in your knowledge, we're anchored in your written word, but we're also living by the power of your spirit on the inside of us, joining together, becoming confident that we hear you, becoming confident that we know you, becoming confident that when we're faced with life, we can go to your word, the written and the living word, and it will feed us and sustain us and give us life. And in doing so, the kingdom of God continues to advance. Father, we thank you for opportunities to be more bold, to be more effective, to communicate your gospel, to do those powerful works that you said we could do. We're walking into this next hope full of faith and hope, living a way of life anchored in wisdom and revelation, uniting in our hearts in the knowledge of you. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you that people who have experienced difficulty with family, that even right now, those gripping hurts from the past are just dropping off. They're just melting away. That hearts are sensitive to let your love for them unwind and untie those hurts and those pains and those wounds. And even physical healing comes as a result of that. Father, I thank you that your spirit in this moment is giving life to our physical bodies and we're experiencing supernatural life. Our immune systems are affecting our physical body. I thank you that your spirit is active also, life to our physical body. Moving into this new year full of faith and hope. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Well, praise God. I hope you have a wonderful, joyful, merry, beautiful Christmas. I hope you get everything that you asked Santa for. And if you didn't, Bob's up here to pray for you. But if you do need prayer for anything at all, make your way up here. Otherwise, love you guys. We'll see you Wednesday for Christmas communion. Have a great weekend. Hey, Wanda, how are you? Where's Josh? Are you coming for prayer?